Oh my God, it's gorgeous. I'm being a bit cheeky. I'm just looking in the letter box here and I can see a glass staircase, lots of lovely tiling, nice expensive looking furniture. I'm in Clahine County Tipperary and I've just inherited the house across the street and I want to see what the neighbours have done. And look, if you look through this window, I think you can see out to the garden. But look, you can see all the way out and they've got a beautiful big garden at the back. The Neighbours is an old converted provincial bank that's been turned into a guest house. It sleeps 12 and is on Airbnb for €300 Euro a night. I'm just looking through a crack in the gate out to the back of the bank and I think there's, they've probably done up an old outhouse or a shed or something. It's a Dermot Bannon job. My name is Katrina Devro. I'm a TV producer and presenter living in Cork. I recently presented a financial makeover show called My Money and Me, helping people make shrewd financial decisions. Each week on My Money and Me, our panel of industry insiders are on hand with their insider tips to save you money. I've inherited a big house in Clahine, a village of 500 people in South Tipperary. It has the Galti Mountains to the north and the Knockmill Downs and the V right nearby to the south. The closest big towns are Care and Mitchellstown. The house was a busy guest house with 10 bedrooms and it was also where my mother and her five siblings grew up. The truth is, I don't know what to do with it. It's an old and crumbling three-storey terraced house on the main street in Clahine. Feels like the heart has gone a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. 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 I think when we turned off the range, that was it. Even just seeing the, the plaster coming off, flaking, it's... It's, kind of, it's sad, isn't it? It is sad, yeah. For such a beautiful building, mm-hmm. and a big building. I live in a tiny, tiny terraced house with no garden, so inheriting a big old guest house with a big, long back garden and lots of outbuildings sounds like a good deal. Like, what's funny, when you walk down the street and you just see, like, you know, three-storey terraced houses, you don't realise that they nearly all have an acre out the back. But this old guest house, called V House, is a 50-minute drive from Cork City. So my choice is simple. Keep the guest house or sell it. Of course, the choice is not that simple. Lots of things to be considered. Among them, my emotional attachment to the place. If I sell, it ends my family's attachment to the village of Clahine and by extension to the countryside and to that most Irish of ties, the land. I've decided to assemble a sort of jury to help me make up my mind. How are you? Edward. I'm the right girl. You do, how are you? How are you? you? How are you keeping? Lovely to meet you. Not great to see you, lovey. The first member of the jury is local auctioneer Edward Walsh. He's going to look at the contents and see if there's any money to be made out of them. Um, So basically, this used to be a small hotel. Yes. There's a lot of wardrobes, a lot of beds, a lot of bedside lockers. Right. I'd say nothing has been thrown out in about 50 Mm. years. So there's a lot of junk as well. Is there, uh, yeah. But there might be some treasures. Sure, we'll go around it and look at it all. We have a nice cast iron fireplace with a brick surround. Another auctioneer, um, Michael Dorgan, is going to value the house and land for me. We're in the main sitting room of the property. It measures approximately 15 foot by 12 foot with a ceiling height of 10 foot approximately. This is what I remember. And other members of the Clahine jury are family and friends. This is, we used to play around here. This is exactly what I remember. God, yeah. How do you feel being in here? Um, it's upsetting. I mean, I, I could get upset yeah. if I left myself, you yeah. know. 
But let's go back to where all this began for me, this attachment to the village of Plahin. The road from Cork and the trips to go on holidays to my mother's parents. We didn't have a car, so we would get the bus to Mitchellstown or Care and we would get collected by my granddad. Or we would drive down with my aunt Sheila, usually. I love this drive. I, I think it's totally worth the windy, bumpy road to just get the views on the way down. So see the way you're kind of getting closer and closer to the mountains as you get closer to Clahine. For most people, there's no reason to go through Clahine because Care is the nearest town and that's bypassed by the motorway. So it's, it's kind of a road to nowhere. My granny and granddad had pigs. I used to love when, you know, they'd have a litter and all the bonnets would be, you know, on the sow and then, but then you'd, my granny being, you know, a practical country woman would, uh, you'd encounter some drowned bonnet in a bucket somewhere. You'd be traumatised for a couple of weeks afterwards. That's Chanamaran graveyard down there. Um, that's where my, my granny and granddad and my uncle are buried. My uncle died four years ago. He was a single man with no family and he skipped a generation with the will. So he left the land to a cousin and he left the house to me, which caused some surprise. After my uncle died, a neighbour from out the road was driving through Clahin one day and he saw us, the family, standing outside. I think we might have been down in Clahin for the month's mind or something like that. And he practically drove the car off the road up onto the curb while we were standing outside the front door, leapt out... And as he was coming out the door, went, what do you make of the will? So he was not in any way tactful about it. And he was aghast at what had been left. But we were aghast at the way he sympathised with us. So, yeah, he was being blunt. So now we're coming into Clahine. And that's the church. You see there's loads of for sale signs. This is Moroni's, which was a very busy grocery shop. Up here on the right is, in this house, was um, the butcher. It's closed now, it's not a butcher's anymore. And that's the takeaway, that's the community centre, that's the playground. Because my connection to Clahine has been weakened over the years, I don't know what living in Clahine is like. I don't know what it's like to have kids there. I don't know what people do for fun. I don't know, you know, what the school is like. I don't know what it's like to commute to Cork or where people go for work. Do they all work in Clare or Clonmel or do many people commute to Cork? And if you were to live in Clahine, what would it be like? Well, it's beautiful scenery anyway and there's loads of walks and for children, I think, I think it's lovely. I have a 16-month-old. I've now entered the world of parenting. Well, I think like a small school... You know, with small numbers is nice rather than a big cute, even though that has its own struggles as well because you're trying to get facilities or trying to get... We lost a teacher, actually, so we went from a four-teacher school to a three-teacher school and four-teacher is a lot better because you have two classes. But anyway, that's rural Ireland. My uncle died four years ago and he left me his house and I don't know what to do with it. And I'm interested to hear what parents and people living in the village would think if I was, like, to give up my life in Cork and move to Clahine, is would that be a good move or not? It is yeah. really safe. Mm. I know people say there's not much for them to do, but they always seem to find they something. Do, yeah. But you have to bear in mind, yeah. the cinema is a trip away, you know, the... Everything's, uh, everything's a trip away, yeah. But the bus transport is, is brilliant here now. Is it? Yeah, absolutely brilliant. Five-time-a-day service. Yeah. Unbelievable, up and down to Cork and <laughs> Clanbell and... Yeah. Come on, come on down. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, so why not? It's a nice spot, isn't it? When I was young in this town, there was everything in it. There was something like 13 or 14 pubs in that town one time. And I was just, what, three, I think, three pubs left in the town. It seemed to get worse when we had this boom. They closed down the bank, they closed down the Garda station, they closed down... Ah, we want people to come, get it growing again. I suppose my thing is that, like, would you just go mad in December when it's raining, it's dark, it's quiet, there's nowhere to go for a cup of coffee? Do I sound like a stupid city slicker? No, I suppose a lot of the times you'd go into Clamel, kind of, and you'd have some around you. I mean, like, you'd have your friends that would call over for a cup of tea and everything, so you wouldn't be completely isolated or anything. So, yeah. I mean, you get to know people and that's, that's it, or... You know, everyone's kids mingle together and... You're giving it the thumbs up anyway. Yeah, I would. <laughs> Thanks a million. I'm always leaving the lights on. Oh, he's lovely there. It's America. Coney Island, Brooklyn. Back at the house another group who will help me to decide if I should sell it or keep it. My mother and my aunts. That's my mother, Brida, and two of her sisters, Marion and Sheila. <laughs> he didn't like the really, really tall ones. I mean, he went up so They're looking around what used to be their childhood home. This used to be my mum and daddy's room. <laughs> and, like, when you were sick, you were put into this bed. Yeah. But she you... never called a doctor, like. No. <laughs> never called a doctor. And you were expected to lie in that bed with the clothes up to your chin for, you know, with, in the 12 fever. hours. <laughs> and uh, if they came down and they cut your arms out <laughs> and World War Three broke out because they'd have to call the doctor and that would cost money. And they were and the, all the inconvenience you were it's, causing them anyway by being sick in the first place. <laughs> and it was your own fault you were sick because you did something like you brought home a dead bird. <laughs> and that's why you were sick. <laughs> This house, where my mother and aunts grew up, was known as the V House Guest House in the 60s and 70s. Much of their business came from live-in guests. He was very heavy man. I say the poor man. Like Mr O'Brien. And he was a recovered alcoholic, so he was always eating sweets. And um, he was a devil for chewing gum as well. And when he finished the chewing gum, he'd chuck it towards the fireplace. Mainly the chewing gum was around the hearts. It wasn't inside in the fire. And I was sick to the teeth of sweeping up this chewing gum. So one day I said, I'll pay him back now. And I... If I had to do this to a guest, I left the chewing gum on, the t- on his seat. So he arrived out in the morning and sat into it. And when Mammy came in to serve him, he was standing here in his underpants. <laughs> and he was a big man. It's the only time I made her laugh, actually. She was laughing all day over the scene that she witnessed when she came in here. And did he stop during his chewing gum? It never. I never had to pick it up off the ground again. <laughs> Another live-in guest was the local vet, Pat Nugent. We got the phone in when Pat Nugent came to stay because the price of calves was very expensive then. It was worth getting the vet <laughs> it out. It was worth getting the vet out. Did I tell you about the call I got there the, the day that I, I, I didn't understand what he was saying? Decaying is what he... I, all I could hear was something to do with a cow decaying and I was kind of thinking, what is he doing ringing the vet because he should be ringing the knacker's yard because the cow has gone beyond the vet's help if it's, it's decaying. And Because uh, I even said, asked him to start it off again so that we might we might start understanding each other and he said, oh, it's Harry O'Grady here. And I said, what's wrong, Harry? Well, it's decaying across the road. He's a cow. And I said, the mess message was that it was Dick Keane, who he, he called Dick Keane, which was Richard Keane really, was his proper name, had a cow sick across the road and he was doing the message on his behalf, but he had me very confused. <laughs> there were some tourists who came to V House, like visiting Americans who often came prepared. 
Well, you remember they bought their own toilet paper when they came at one stage? <laughs> because they because thought they the thought toilet paper was too it. hard in Ireland. But one of them caught it in into, yeah. The, yeah, into number it 10. It. That Anne they're talking about, that's Anne Condon. She worked in the V House. The job had one particular perk when some of the guests were leaving. Sometimes you'd have people, when they were going back to America, would give clothes to Anne. Oh, yeah. They'd leave clothes behind them. That story. Into <laughs> number 10, Anne, I've got something for you. And she, because they never used it while they were here, and she was passing it on to Anne as if she was giving her the, the best gift you could possibly get. Uh, and what was it? A, uh, a suitcase full of toilet paper that she'd want to bring back to America after bringing it over. You know, and she thought she, was, she might get a nice jumper. She was striking lucky again. <laughs> no. Edward Walsh is still going from room to room. He's the local auctioneer who's valuing the contents for me. But like yeah. there are, I think this is a nice. That's room. a nice thing, all right. But yeah. the marble is the cracked marble on is it. Cracked on it no? There's over 50 years worth of stuff here, most of which looks of little value. I'm beginning to sound desperate with him. Even these kind of bread bins and stuff yeah, like that. They're not really no. But they're so cool nowadays. Oh, they are, you know? yeah, yeah, people yeah, love yeah. all that vintage. Yeah, people thing. do buy them. The fact of the matter is, while I'm talking to Edward, I'm doing rough sums in my head. I've no idea what Michael, the other auctioneer, is going to say about the value of the building. Looking at the property, my concerns would be the amount of money that would go into repairing the property. How much do you think it would cost to do up a house like this? Yeah. When you go take you apart an old building, there can be some hidden horrors that, that will be unveiled. You, you, you could see in excess of 100,000 going into a property like this. Is there electricity here? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so yeah, definitely it will be BER applicable. So. Okay. And an engineer to mark out the... And an engineer. If, 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 there, if there is any boundary issues, yes, get okay. an engineer uh, to, to mark a map after. Another three or four hundred Which grade. will be another three or four hundred. A BER will be done for €150 Euro inclusive of the VET. Your solicitor then will be another, I suppose, thousand odd euro plus the vet. Let's add this up. For my fee, I think that's about 1,230 inclusive of vet. So we'll just say we're up to three grand You're roughly. Tr- three grand in expenses to get the property sold. And then you have to pay capital gains tax on it. Yeah. Um, Are we going in there again? Yeah, I mean, I oh, don't, do you think it's better, worth it? This is better you're getting. <laughs> I'm secretly hoping that Edward might unearth some gem that's worth a lot, like you see on those antique shows on TV. Even the, um, the, old, dryer. the old hair dryer yeah, yeah, over there, yeah. like people turn them into lamps and they stuff do, nowadays. Yeah, yeah. You they know? do, they do, they do, yeah. I mean, it's like you'd have to have some imagination, but... Yeah. Do you think I'm off my mind? <laughs> yes, you do. No, I do not. No, no, no. Just I do not. Like even that's an old meat safe, long ago. An old what? For meat, keeping meat in it. Really? Yeah. Oh wow. That's what it was. What? Oh, so if you yeah. didn't have a fridge, you keep you your didn't meat have. In they it? didn't have a fridge in these days. Really? No. Wow. No, you have a lot of fishing rods here. A lot of fishing rods. Oh, My yeah. uncle who gave yeah. them me the house was into fishing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Mount Millery closed down, of course, Mount Millery loved an auction. While Edward is casting a cold eye on the contents, the ants are seeing a story behind almost every piece. And she went out and she bought this press light that was absolutely enormous. In fact, it was so enormous we couldn't get it in to the house. Yeah. We brought it in the archway and then we couldn't get it in any, any of the doors, doors here. So they actually had to knock out... The, the, and put a channel out into the yard yeah. that was about that six or seven inches, wasn't it? Yeah. They, they took down the step. They had to take away the step. 
And dig a trench. And dig a trench. They take the door off. <laughs> take out a step and dig a grave outside it that was about uh, uh, half a foot deep to get a press into the house. That should never have been brought into the place. And I'd say they dismantled to get it out. <laughs> and it had much of a function, actually, because it had some storage, but was sto- it was storing nothing that but we it was, used. It was such good value, she couldn't leave it behind. <laughs> She only got an automatic washing machine when Sheila and I went to college, and that was the same October that Anne got married. So we were we were replaced with an automatic washing machine (laughs) and a dishwasher. She didn't like putting on the dishwasher; it was very wasteful. So we 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 were down to using it on Christmas Day as a treat (laughs) that we wouldn't be washing up. As well as accumulating bits and pieces, the house also accumulated people. It was a home to various relatives from time to time. I just sat in the breakfast room all day in a corner. She was a small craven Like the retired teacher, Auntie Bridget. And she was dressed in kind of grey clothes. And what was Auntie Bridget's job sitting up smoking her fags? She, she used to help with the homework. She used to be good at homework. And she'd, and she'd, and she'd save you from getting a slap. You'd oh. hide behind her. Yeah. She was very nice. We were very fond of Auntie Bridget. She was um, a primary school teacher in, in England. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. so and she dried the knives. <laughs> she didn't do any other job, she dried the knives. And she, she did directed the, homework. The, ma- the making of gooseberry jam, I remember as well, once she had. Uh, I mean, she was in her late 70s. She had cancer for about 20 years. She had breast yeah. cancer that was never treated because they said that it, uh, you know, it wasn't suitable. And actually, she lived with it for 20 years. And towards the end, she had a nurse coming in every second night to dress her, her breasts. Well, the nuns always said we didn't have a mammy and daddy. They never heard about that, only Auntie Bridget. Oh, really? Because mm-hmm. Auntie Bridget this, Auntie Bridget that. Yes, yeah. yeah, was. Me and Daddy were working. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. And that's an abiding memory of my mother and aunts. As they walk around the house, they have fond memories of the place, but also it's clear that they were children growing up in the middle of a business. It was all about yeah. food. That's why, you know, um, I actually, it, it, it was kind of annoying. It, it wasn't a, it, like our life was centred around food. And we used yeah. to think, is there anything else? And just preparing it all the time. <laughs> from the time you opened your eyes in the morning. You <laughs> <laughs> went to bed, the last tray given to people at 10 o'clock and you, at night. And you set the tables uh, late at night in the, in the breakfast room. Yeah. Uh, you'd even put the cornfish into the bowl and put a plate on top of it. Yeah. Just weather and... And cold will will just deteriorate a property. The two auctioneers are still going around the house. Um, We're on the first floor of the building. Michael Dorgan, who's valuing the building and the outbuildings, is upstairs. Dimensions of this room would be approximately, we'll say, 15 foot again by 12 foot in width. Well, can I just point something out to you just before we let you go there out the back? This is a really good roof for sunbathing on. Um, my aunts used to sunbathe out on it. Okay. And whenever my granny caught me up on it, she would kill me. Right. And then we found her up felting it herself on her own when she was 80 years of age. Right. So, um, so it's a multi-purpose. Can you see that shed at the end there? Okay. Um, there's a gate, there's basically two gates. Edward Walsh, who's valuing the contents for me, is going through the rooms downstairs. A what jug, do you say? It's a luster jug. It's a very old one. Very old jug now, that is. Does any, would anyone have any interest? They in would have value about 40 euros in it. For that? Yeah, for that no jug, way. yeah. Yeah. It's very ugly. <laughs> <laughs> it is, though, isn't it? 
Don't be saying that at all. Well, now, oh, don't sorry. Say. I mean, prospective buyers yeah. is beautiful, but like it's bronze <laughs> with ballerinas dancing yeah, on it, a bit just, of green on it. Yeah, yeah, it is nice. Nice joke now, that is. Okay, cool. But as yeah. he moves through the rooms crammed with junk, he becomes less and less yeah, yeah, optimistic. Yeah. Now we're getting shabbier and shabbier. You're all right, you're all right. Put my shoulder to that. What do you think of this? <laughs> <laughs> Describe Where what you're seeing to me. Where the are you going at all? <laughs> In the name of God. Look, I'm... what are these worth? <laughs> <laughs> Cobwebs are free in this house. And his final verdict? <laughs> Not good. All, like, there's, all the there's nothing there, love, going to make money for you. Okay. There are, you might get a couple of euros for that, and for that maybe, like, you know... Sorry, not you with the bad news. No, no, I mean, I kind of half knew it myself, to yeah. be honest, so. Do you think it's even point doing a written valuation? Like, are you talking a couple of hundred euro? It's not a huge amount. Let's sit down, love, in for yourself, there. Your honest opinion. You won't have caused me any offence. Uh, yeah, I know upset. that, yeah, yeah. My honest opinion, there's nothing of value there. So if it's... I turned around and I said, listen, I don't want to do a sale, but I'd like you to just take the stuff, there's nothing really you'd want to take. There's there. nothing really, Katrina. You're just breaking and... it to me gently. <laughs> <laughs> Something like, I mean, if along the lines of sort of like having painting weekends or things, you know, craft weekends or something. Where's the market? Well, the old convent are doing pretty well for themselves. Maybe you could open it up as a tea room and have people people who go off to visit there could exactly. come down here. So now we're going to be moving on to the next course. The old convent is a Clahine success story. So this is the butter poached and slow roasted Tipperary lamb. Underneath it's a, it's a high-end restaurant and guest house in the village run by Christine and Dermot Gannon. Just flaming the meringue on top of those the lemon curd and berries there. They're well known for their tasting menu. Sample portions served over many courses. Ballyhura shiitake mushroom puff pastry. The hardest critic I had was my father. He came in the first time. I was quite chuffed with myself. You know, we came from, I suppose, you know, sheep farming background. And I think he was on about on the third course, and he said uh, to Christine, he called her over, and he said, Jesus, he said, would you ever go down and tell that fellow to throw it all on the one plate? We'll be here all feckin' night. <laughs> it's a kind of a vocation. You're, you're not going to make a quick book. You're not going to become uh, rich overnight. It's kind of, you have to immerse yourself in it and accept that it's not nine to five. It's a total commitment. Yeah, absolutely. So four people, Brian, at eight o'clock. Perfect. Brian, any allergies or vegetables? It's a lifestyle decision. I mean, even last night, you know, it was a night off. I was working until about 2.30 in the morning on emails. And that's normal because by the time, you know, the two and a half year old goes to bed, that's my quiet time. So it's quite often I'd be up till between two and three in the morning doing paperwork and emails yeah. and completing things. But you just, you just get used to it. You're used to those kind of hours, though. It may be a lot of hours, but it's paid off. Christine and Dermot have the fine dining market cornered in this part of Munster. But if I was to reopen V House in a new guise, what type of business might work? 
there is massive potential in this area. I mean, the Knock Mill Down Mountains are stunning. The walking, hill walking potential here is huge, and there definitely is a need. I get constant calls from groups who would love to rent, you know, this house out for a group like that. We're just not big enough because we've only the seven rooms. Mm. Dermot's not convinced. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would only open it if, you, if you, it's something you really wanted to do. Mm. You know, if it was something that you were passionate about and you wanted, and you were going to be there yourself all the time and you were there in the morning and you were there the last one to put them to bed at night to turn off the light and uh, basically if I turned into my granny yeah you would probably <laughs> have to uh, morph into your grandmother it's the more the fact that you can never get away from it we miss every family wedding unless it's, unless it's a brother or sister we have to find out in advance and we actually have to close the convent to go to mm. something like that so we do we miss pretty much every family function every occasion so that is a hard part of it you have that's to kind of you accept that that's a sacrifice like it is it is yeah yeah, yeah. it yeah. depends who's getting married <laughs> <laughs> Back at the house, the auctioneer Michael Dorgan has finished having a look around. He's going to give me his appraisal. We have to be very careful on what we value it at. The local property market in Clahine isn't terribly buoyant, but I would be confident at a right asking price that we would get a buyer. And why isn't it buoyant? My, my experience of the area in working the area in boom and bust, it, it, it just seemed to be very much a terribly difficult sell in Clahine. Is it that bit far out from the major towns, such as Mitchellstown and Clonmel and Cork City? It seems to be but just location. I love the Knockmill Down Mountains, Co- ten minutes to the V. I know. <laughs> tourism, tourism. But, yeah, just uh, from a property point of view, and I can only, only st- strictly speak from a property point of view, property prices always suffered in Clahine. I've no real explanation for it, but I can only put it down to location. Yeah. The famous words that auctioneers use. So, like, if how much do you think, if you were to put this on the market now, how much do you think we get for it? Potentially. Potentially, potentially, I would be thinking maybe it could be thirty to forty thousand. Thirty to forty thousand for a three-story house on an acre of land. That's so depressing. I mean, this is a house you you didn't have, and all of a sudden your uncle dies and he leaves it to you. So, I mean, it's a bonus for you. Tim Bracken is a barrister who specialises in probate and family law cases. He has seen lots of families struggle with what to do with an inherited property. Like, to be honest, it feels like a bit of a burden to me. And I'm just wondering, is that a common thing? I wouldn't regard it as a burden in your case. I mean, there's nobody challenging the will. Were you expecting it? No, no, I wasn't at all. And yeah, I don't want to sound ungrateful. Like, But by the time you empty it out and get all the skips to get rid of the dirty, broken furniture and pay the auctioneer and the engineer and all that kind of thing. It's just not a lot of money for a big family home that your family grew up in and you're letting it go for a very small amount of money. Yeah, but what I would do is I'd uh, I'd just cut your losses and get out at this stage. You know, some people have this thing that they shouldn't sell it because, you know, it came down through the family and stuff like that. But that's being ridiculous. I mean, the thing is you take a pragmatic view on it cut your ties with it, cut your emotions with it or else go and live there. That's That's your choice. But I mean, don't be always looking back. Move on in life. Stop agonising. If you agonise, you're going to torture yourself. (laughs) Oh, Tim, you make it sound so easy. And yet, while the money value on the house may be low, the emotional value I place on it is high. 
Even though I only came here at weekends and on my holidays, I do have an easy connection with the place. How's the bubble? He's great. Good, yeah, thank good, you very good, much. good. 16 yeah. months now. I'm imagine So you're going to cheer me up now and say, come, we're going to come back to Cahill to live, are you? <laughs> I'm rare on here. Wouldn't it be lovely, know, wouldn't it? Brilliant. Oh, Jesus, Catherine, you could yeah. do worse. I know. Do you know? <laughs> I'm here standing outside the house talking to two local women, Margaret Murray and Nari Collins. Are there many 17, 18 year olds living here? You know, after school, are there many really living here? Um, Fennessy's now, would it be Tracy Fennessy's? Yeah. Or um, what's her name? But what we're saying is that majority of people do leave the oh, village. They do, they do. Once they've they finished do. leaving, they're gone. They do, they do, they do. Yeah. Yeah. My own are gone, like, you know. Do you know daughter, to she to Cork? No, she's finished. She went oh. off to Australia. Did she? She did, uh, yeah, yeah. She's, she's, actively, she gone? she's gone two weeks, but she's looking for work over there. Now, she's hoping to go for a year, like, you right, know what I mean? Anyway, but if she gets a work job over there, um, oh, she'll go, Ash, I'm fine. Grand. What can you do? What can you do? Do you know, the other girl is in purchase, I was to see her in January. So when oh, I knew they were, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's my age. <laughs> <laughs> when I came up from Cork, myself and Nara used to play together in the V House. But look, we still have our. Uh, oh no, they're not. There, there's baby sham glasses, and um, by then the guest house was closed. But what a great place for children to play games. To be honest, when I was a child, the only time I used to come down here was when you were here. So I can just remember just playing and just. I mean, it was like a wonderland because all these rooms. The tiny little room that used to be the bar. Yeah, yeah, oh, no, I, I used to play hotel. Yeah. That yes, was what yes. we used to play yeah. with all the glasses on. And there's a hatch here which you could serve the drinks through into the lounge. But actually, do you know what used to be brilliant in here was there was a fine collection of Enid Blyton books. Okay. And there was like loads of, you know, old annuals and things like that that you could delve into. Um, you could spend days in here, I think. You, you could spend days in here, yeah. Exploring and... yeah. Big rooms. We're empty. Like, we're empty. Nobody yeah, was we, in we them. We had the run of the house and we'd be running around and which was, was fantastic as a child. Now Nari has children of her own. Oh my God, you're a douche. You're <laughs> a douche. And she lives just up the street in Clahine with her husband, Kevin. But she did live away. She's a dentist and worked in Cork in the UK. Then she and Kevin made the decision that I'm facing now and opted to move back to a small village. Are you going to say hello to Jean? <laughs> oh my God, he's gorgeous. We didn't know what we were doing, but looking back, it was the best decision we ever made because we moved back and we said we'd stay in this house six months and we're here now. Six years, seven years. And uh, yeah, can't get rid of us really. So we love it. We love it here, I must say. We're really enjoying it here. And what's, what do you do? Like what happens in Clahine? What do you do for kicks? For kicks. Yeah, when you have three right, kids. Right, when you have three kids. I don't kids. even mean kicks as in yeah. going out drinking kicks. I mean, like, when you have three kids, what do you do? Like, well, I suppose your day is taken with three small children. Your, your day is taken up with the kids. You know, school runs, creche runs, getting dinners ready. Like any parent, I think you can be in the middle of a city and be in the middle of Clahine and it doesn't make a difference. Your day is still the same. It yeah. revolves around the children. And you have a playground at the end of your road. You have a playground at the yeah. end of the road. Step out my front door. I have a great butcher's across the road. We have a, two shops here. Um, we have a vegetable shop. Of course, there was a time when Nari had no time for the vegetable shop in Clahine. Once she became a teenager, she felt the way most teenagers do about home. First thing you want to do is leave. And then when, well... When life changes and you have babies, changes, you go, actually, yeah, it's brilliant to be living in Clahine. When you have kids, when you have kids yeah. it's, it's, that's the big turner, really. And you start going, do you know what? It's really handy to have Granny down the road. Correct. <laughs> Granny is the third parent here. Yeah. She's brilliant, yeah. We'd, we'd be lost without her, wouldn't we, Kev? She's brilliant. She 
takes the kids for sleepovers. She collects the kids from school when I had ruined because I had a C-section. You know, you can't drive or she just stepped in. Obviously, Kevin had to go back to work. So she stepped in. She was, she's fantastic. She really is the third parent, isn't she, Kev? She's, yeah. she's brilliant. Yeah. That's um, one thing, if I was to move back to Clahim, my mom is in Cork. Yes. Dara's yeah. parents are in Cork. Yeah. Oh, and like, you know, that support sense. is there. That, that's what, when children come along, I think that's what it's all about, to be honest. Having that extra piece of help, especially when you're working full-time or part-time or whatever. I mean, Kevin does full weeks and some nights he works till eight o'clock, so he might be home till half eight. And then it's that um, hour is horribilious when the kids go nuts for an hour for that, you know, seven to eight. And just to have help, just to help you put the kids to bed. And, you know, when you're feeding a newborn yourself, you have to sit down yourself and give the child full, full attention. The other two could be going nuts around the place. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. And um, you have to be fed. Like when, exactly, when yeah. I had Rory, like we had a crazy first six months. It was very yeah. hard work and... Like, I don't know what I would have done yeah, without my mom. Yeah, like, she yeah. was doing our laundry, she was bringing us dinners, she yeah. was like... It's, she was it's, that's so door. important, yeah. That's the decider for me. When it comes to my inherited big house in rural Tipperary versus my tiny terraced house in Cork City, it's where the grannies and grandads are that matters. <laughs> oh, <gasps> shot! <laughs> my son's grandparents are all near us in Cork City. This is my mother, Brida. What does it mean to have Rory around for you here as opposed to us like living in Clyne? Which is wonderful because uh, he's just up the road and he's, I see him all the time and I get to see him growing up. I feel he's a connection to me, as small and all as he is. Um, so it's great. No, sure, I'm very lucky because a lot of people haven't got their family living near them anymore. So it's great that we're in the same town, in the same country. Since starting this documentary, my first baby arrived. He didn't have an easy start, and the reality of motherhood has set in. I realise how busy life is with children and how quickly they grow up. Realistically, I want to put my time and energy into my family, and not a project I'm not 100% convinced would be successful or make me happy. Part of me is inspired to roll up my sleeves, be brave and take on the project, and make something of the house again. But a bigger part of me knows that once you commit to something like that, you commit to a way of life. You get locked in and can't reverse out. Someone could turn this place into a successful tea room or guest house, maybe even just for the summer months. And Main Street, rural Ireland, needs someone to take a risk on it. The jury have all come back with a variety of verdicts. The auctioneers and the Andes say to sell it. Some of the local people living here say to keep it. But there is one local woman whose opinion I really value. She's the Anne referred to earlier in the story about the toilet paper, Anne Condon. She worked in the V house for years and lives right nearby. I really wanted to know what she thought I should do with it. I don't know, Katrina. What would you do with it? Or what would you do if you, were, if you were me? I would tell it. Oh, I'm terrible, I'm tired. No, not at all, no, no. Why would you sell it? Well, unless you intended living there or something like that, it will all fall asunder. 
And Katrina, you want loads of money for that. To put it right. It's very hard to, to say that now, isn't it? Mm-mm. The reality is my life, my family are in Cork. Moving to Clahine would only complicate things and I just have to learn to let go. So I've put the house on the market. We would be going with an asking price of 50. And look, the price will be the most attractive feature of the sales strategy. That is why it's terribly important to get the pricing of it right. So what do you need from me then? Right, to move it on, I would need you to sign a PSRA document. It's a document giving me permission to act on your behalf. In that document will be... The paperwork makes it official. The decision is made and the wheels are in motion. I'm relieved that something is finally going to happen with the house. But I'm also conscious that for others in the family, this is a big step. Others like my mum. So the fact that I've pushed Clahine on the market, how do you feel about that? It's okay, Mama. It's hard to close the doors on your past life, you know, and very hard to imagine. And uh, it's kind of like dust to do- dust, thou art and dust under dust, thou shalt return. And it's like that life is finishing, you know. So um, it's difficult, really. But it's, there's not there's not much choice, really, because it is. It is a complete burden, and if you won the lot in the morning, I don't think it's worth rebuilding it because it's past and it has to go, you know. But just hard to let things go. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's how I've been feeling for the last two years, like, you know. Mm, mm. And I suppose the fact that it's kind of been an incremental goodbye as well, like in that... You know, it didn't happen suddenly and it's been happening, but the realisation of of the fact that actually you could drive into Glaheen in a year's time potentially and can't go into that house. Yeah. You know? That's the when that's yeah. when it really hit, I think, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. And then the other day when I was up in Glaheen, I was happier when I had gone to visit Nari and then I went to visit Anne afterwards and So it's the people. It's the people and yeah. we'll still be able to go see yeah. those people and yeah. actually we didn't spend any time in the house, you know. Yeah, yeah. So in a way Well in a way I think it's not the house, in a way it's outside the house. Because when I go down the back, it's it's that's where I I I'm happy to be rather than actually in the house. Mm. So the house isn't isn't a lot of value. It's just it's the way it's the access to everything else. Mm. But it's the kind of the bit of land if you want to call it that. It's the end of that, which mm. is hard too. Mm-hmm. You know, um, maybe it's to do with our farming connection that you know there's we've no land, and um, we miss that. You know. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like that and I don't even have any farming connection, but yeah, I feel yeah. like there is something if you do have some plot of land and everything goes terribly wrong and <laughs> there's an apocalypse, you'll be able to take care of yourself. Yeah, you yeah. Know, I don't know if that's yeah, silly yeah. or what, yeah, but yeah, yeah. that's what I kind of feel like, you know. Yeah. But the reality is, too, is that, you know, it could go on the market and maybe nobody wants to buy it. Maybe it's not suitable for anybody, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In which case, then we'll just have to start having camping holidays out the back. <laughs> yeah, out the back, yeah. Yeah, we build a yurt for ourselves. <laughs> the biggest difficulty has been the notion that in selling the house, I'm cutting my family's connection to the village of Glaheen. But really, that connection was cut when the last member living there, my Uncle Bill, died four years ago. <laughs> Thank you.
And in making this documentary, one of my favourite memories brought back was of Uncle Bill and his reaction to the birth of my Aunt Claire. Claire was born number nine. Yeah, Claire was born in number nine? Yeah, she was, yeah. Then she had a home birth at 45 years of age? 47. 47. Jesus. Because yeah. we went up to see her after she was born, uh, so I remember going into that room to see Claire yeah. after, uh, very and, shortly and after we were born. And coming out and Bill saying, another old girl. <laughs> <laughs> And sure, he was mad about her afterwards. He was trailing around after her, or she was trailing around after him, rather, you know. 